From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. The Gators exploded onto the scene and into the top 15 in week one, upsetting 7th-ranked Utah and putting the nation on notice in Billy Napier's first game on the job. But another tricky test awaits this weekend, with hopes the sequel is even better than the original on Saturday night in the Swamp against Kentucky. On today's show, we'll convene our roundtable with the voice of the Gators' Sean Kelly and FloridaGators.com's senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry to talk takeaways from the Utes, areas for improvement, the legend of Anthony Richardson, the challenges presented by a solid Wildcat squad, and the newly announced college football playoff format in the PAT. Then, impact-wide receiver and Arizona State transfer Ricky Pearsall joins us to discuss how an Arizona kid ended up in Gainesville, carrying on his dad's legacy at wide receiver, and much more. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet health care destination, with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day, all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to our roundtable for week two of this new athletic season. Uh, we are joined by our new, our trio of experts. It is Sean Kelly, the voice of the Gators. It is Gators Scott. It is Gators Chris. Uh, and guys, I know we talked last week about we didn't really know what this game was going to be like once it kicked off. There were a lot of there was a lot of newness going on, um, including before we start. In the booth. So, Sean, I, I know you don't like to talk about yourself, but I know the people are curious. Just tell us a little bit about what it was like week one in the booth and having the kind of electric game uh, that was happening for you to call. Hot and sweaty. Let's start with that. <laughs> uh, but we stayed dry. And uh, I'm eager to really talk about players and coaches, but I know folks are curious. Um, I, I thought it went very well. We were gifted an incredible game to call to start the Gators campaign and the Billy Napier era. Um, and I was remarkably pleased at how quickly Shane Matthews and Tate Casey and myself were able to, to mesh on the air and, and get right to the story. Um, I'm very thankful that again, the, the game was as incredible as it was. It allowed us to, to really focus play after play for an entire four quarters. Um, and so on a broadcast side, you can't ask for anything more about that. I thought the swamp was electric and that atmosphere plays well, obviously, uh, as a character in the story. And so all in all, I'm glad to get the first one under my belt. I'm glad it was a win and uh, look forward to build from there. Um, outside of the obvious things you just mentioned, what were the biggest takeaways for you, Sean, in terms of how Florida won this game and, and what they showed after, you know, a lot of unanswered questions going into the season? Poise quickly comes to mind, you know, a new team under a new coach, uh, a young man making his first ever start at home and against a ranked opponent. It was a game that went back and forth and some things went very well. Some things did not. And, uh, whether a young football team or a, a team with a new coach, all those things can can really kind of knock you off balance a little bit. So I, I just thought that 
they showed on both sides of the ball the ability to just kind of stick with it um, and play within the plan. I thought it was a, a very good plan uh, set forth by Napier and his staff, and they didn't stray from the script a whole lot. I think they placed Anthony Richardson in a position to succeed, um, and I think that they they did enough on defense to win. Obviously, the interception sticks out, but a bend-don't-break type situation. Those things played into what formulated a win for uh, Florida. So uh, those are my takeaways. I think that maybe, and I think the three of us kind of thought this last week that perhaps the Gators are a little better off than maybe they're getting credit for. But at the same time, also think we, we leave game one with a win and still a pretty good stack of questions too, heading into Kentucky. You know, I, I go back to really a little bit of what Sean said, you know, the poise and finding out about this team. I, I think there was some uncertainty, but you knew that if Anthony Richardson played well, and controlled the game, you knew that this team could certainly beat Utah. I think most people felt that way. And that's exactly what transpired. I mean, and, you know, the, I think they're getting respect in, from the outsiders. Now, I think we've been around the people around the team who kind of see it daily, understood that maybe they're maybe they're being uh, slept on a little bit. But now they're coming into the AP uh, poll number 12 one week after upsetting wow. number seven Utah. So that kind of gives you an idea that, Florida definitely earned a lot of respect uh, outside of Gainesville with the with the win over the Utes. And, um, yeah, it just goes back to I think we saw it wasn't perfect in any, any stretch of the imagination. Billy Napier said that this week, that he knows they have a lot of room for improvement. But you also heard him say that he really likes the fight, the chemistry, the morale of this team, how they stuck together. And, I mean, I can – I've been watching these guys, this program, for uh, several years now. I don't remember them overcoming four leads in one game uh, to win a game. I mean, they kept getting down and kept coming back, and that showed me something that I haven't seen from this program in a while. I'm sure it's happened from time to time, but uh, first of all, you don't like getting down four times in a game. Second of all, when you do, a lot of times you don't come back. So I got to give the guys a lot of credit for that. I can piggyback on the poise uh, point, and I was going to mention you know he come back from from uh, uh, you know four deficits, including you know some some clutch ones. But there was one instance that I think stood out, or maybe an uh, under the radar kind of stand out a little bit, is when Utah calls timeout and comes back out on a, on a fourth down, and you know are they going for it? Right, it looked like they were going to maybe try to kick a field goal, and clearly they were going to try to. You, you notice from the first head bob that Cameron Rising has tried to draw them off sides. I'm just saying, guys, last year that Florida defense jumps off sides there. Probably, yeah. They didn't jump off sides. This, they stayed and kept the game within a field goal, okay? And what happens after that? Anthony Richardson, I think, takes off for his 45-yard touchdown run. All of a sudden, the Gators have the lead going into halftime. I think it was an under-talked-about uh, um, moment in the game. But it also, I thought, spoke volumes about – just some progress this team has made relative to the the discipline talk that uh you know Billy Napier um you know stressed so much uh in last spring and all of fall camp. 
Scott, I think you know this a second ago, where Billy Napier also talked about everything they had to work on. And I think that's probably that's probably best case scenario for a coach, as he said, we got a big win. We're really excited about it. But at the same time, there's a lot of obvious areas that we could clearly see needed to be better, especially when we went back and we looked at the film. Um, so curious for you guys, what are those improvements that you think are most needed and most realistically can be made here from week one to week two? Well, I think, you know, Utah racked up, a, what, 446 yards of offense. I think 231 on the ground. Uh, Cameron Rising was, you know, good in the passing game and the running game until, of course, that final interception to Amari Bernie. So I'm sure they would love to tighten up defensively some. I think that starts up front. You know, he didn't have a sack. And we talked, I think, last week, guys, about, you know, if you look at this team and this roster, the one big question mark, at least for in my eyes, was that front uh, defensive line. And, you know, nothing really changed there, I don't think, in my opinion there, except, you know, uh, I like some of the young guys they worked in there. Uh, Tyreek Sapp got some playing time his first time as a Gator. Chris McClellan got a few snaps. Green Cox Jr. went out and had 10 tackles. Uh, you know, they're still going to have to get some pressure, be more disruptive to the quarterback in the passing game. So that's just one area that I'm guessing uh, Patrick Tony and, and Billy Napier would like to see uh, get some more results against Kentucky this week. I don't know if this is necessarily an area that you can improve from one week to the next, um, but now the Anthony Richards, Richardson thing wasn't a, really a secret to start with, and it's certainly not now after a 45-yard run, three touchdowns. Guess what opponents are going to do? <laughs> they are going to try and load up, especially in the box, and take away the big play threat that is Anthony Richardson. Can this team find somebody else to either lift the lid um, or be a big play strike in another uh, facet of the, of the Gator offense? So I think that has to be something that, whether it's an improvement or an in addition to or, hey, it just may not be there. It's, it's hard to tell. Um, but I think that's something that we're going to have to track here a little bit moving forward. I thought, Scott, you know, you mentioned the defensive situation there. Uh, again, just like Billy said the other day, a lot of good, a lot of bad, and, and some ugly too. And, you know, am I concerned about the two flags on the kickoff return unit? Not necessarily. I think, I think that's easily improved, whether it be a change in philosophy on what you do in that situation or just better execution. Um, but in all, I mean – Again, yeah, I think you're building from a much firmer and higher foundation than perhaps even we, we envisioned. To Sean's point about um, the plan that they had for Anthony Richardson, I got to think that over the course of the, of the season, maybe even the course of the last couple of days going into uh, this, this weekend's game, Anthony Richardson showed those coaches, you can trust me, okay? Mm. So maybe, maybe the playbook starts to get a little – starts to open up a little bit more um, with some things. And, they, you know, they, they clearly had a plan for that game, an excellent one, um, to face Utah. Uh, I thought Anthony Richardson would have run the ball a lot. If you'd asked me before the game, I thought he was going to run, run a whole bot. He, he kind of stuck back in there and, and, and did some things, but they, were, they, they didn't ask him to do a whole lot, and that's good. It played out perfectly. We'll see as, as the weeks go on if the, maybe they ask him and, and allow him to do a little bit more. Um, maybe that has something to do with, uh, how how they feel about some of the some of the other positions and what have you, and kind of like spoon feed them a little bit at a, a little bit at a time. But as uh, as this goes on and and Anthony uh, Richardson's uh, 
tool set is kind of uh, uh, in, increased, maybe we'll be in for a, a, a little more of an, uh, of an exciting kind of element to the offense. A great point, Chris. I just want, just want to pile on here a little bit in that I thought Anthony played unselfishly in some of the ways that you're speaking of. And if it was as simple of, hey, Anthony, we only want you to read this one thing. Maybe it's that defensive end on the edge. Look, comes downhill at you, you know, if not, if he tries to stay home or, or play both sides of this, all you, baby. And I think, I think Chris, your, your point is well taken in that um, he's explosive enough that he could have tried to force some stuff and, and increase the numbers, if you will. And maybe that wouldn't have been the smart play, but I, yeah, unselfish in some ways. Um, and then if we're going to go back to, I guess, takeaways, I, it's on me, I guess. I failed to mention, I thought the offensive line played very well. Oh, fabulous. The fabulous. Night. And, um, and, the, and the running backs. And the running backs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, those yeah. are two strengths that, you know, I don't want people to think that we just glossed over that because it was a massive part of this football game. Montreal Johnson really is impressive the way he reads his blocks and shows patience as a runner and uh, kind of picks and chooses and goes. And, uh, you know, no nonsense with him. Uh, I, I think, you know, if he if he looks like he's kind of waiting, it, it's because he's waiting. He's waiting for something to develop. But he has a little bit of a, a sense to that, and that really showed in the other day. And he responded great after that early fumble. Just, just great. In terms of response, that's kind of where I want to go next. And I'm trying to remember, I don't – I can't think off the top of my head which coach had the phrase. Was it was McElwain that talked about getting your bellies rubbed, or you know, basically a, a term yes. for right, how do you how do you react to success? If we go back to was it Muschamp with the Guru card? That I'm thinking like all the previous times when a, when the team had success and and what the the phraseology was. Um, but obviously, as you noted, Scott, Florida's now up to number twelve in one of the polls. So you've gone from a team that very few people are talking about to one that everybody has their eye on. Anthony Richardson has flown on to a lot of top five Heisman lists following week one. So there's going to be a lot of this. What is, what is Saban like? To, rat poison, right? The rat poison. Um, and, and we just don't know because this is a new staff who's going to handle things differently. How will their team respond and react to the success that they've had? You guys have been around a long time. Collectively, between the three of you, have seen a lot of different teams handle success in different ways. What are your expectations for how this staff will manage this new set of expectations that's been handed on to them? Not you know, not of their own choosing, just by nature of winning this big game. Hey, look, it's a real thing, and I'll go back to my years with you know covering and working with Sean Payton, and you know all these coaches have these different ways of doing this, but. They, they all don't have these cards and phrases and props if it isn't something that exists. And it does. And, and Peyton would, you know, he'd put a mousetrap in every guy's locker on one week or, you know, don't eat the cheese. And, you know, he'd put the, the cheese around, you know, all over the, the, the facility. I, you know, I don't, I don't think Billy Napier is the kind of guy that's, you know, telling his guys, go buy me 134 mousetraps. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it is, We've already heard it out of his mouth this week, and I think now, especially as Scott pointed out with the ranking and all that, it only gets harder, and we're on a campus here where everybody's slapping these young men on the back. What a great way to start. They can't go anywhere in town without hearing how great the game was and all that. So it's it's dangerous, but um, I just like the fact, Scott, that in this case, they're following up one ranked opponent for another. You know, this isn't some slappy coming on here this weekend that they can think that they can just steamroll. I think, 
And I hope Kentucky's got their full attention. Yeah, Sean, I, I think they do. Certainly the guys who were around last year, they all know, they all remember that uh, rushing the field up in uh, Lexington. And, uh, you know, just you never want to be the victim of one of those circumstances. Um, I think really in the big picture, I mean, Billy Napier is, I mean, that's his messaging you know, all week to his players. He did talk about that at his Monday press conference. But I think he's also – this is going to be a week where he learns something too because you do things at Louisiana as head coach and, you know, you get slapped on the back some there too. But it's a whole nother world at Florida. And I think Billy Napier saw that the other night, you know, with that stadium, with that crowd, with that atmosphere. I mean, he's been doing this for a while and he's never experienced anything like that as a head coach. And now what comes with that after that is, you know, like Sean said, you know, everybody's everybody's happy to see you. They're willing to, uh, you know, shake your hand, pat you on the back. And Napier asked yesterday, well, how are the guys and the staff going to respond? So uh, I just I got, I feel that his approach is kind of geared toward these moments. You know, he did show some emotion during the game the other night, obviously, more than we've seen seen from him. But at the same time, he was still calm, cool, and collected most of the night. And, I, I mean, I just see him kind of riding in on Monday morning and starting his week like, you know, it was any other week. And that, when you set that tone at the top, uh, it's a lot better. Uh, it's a lot easier for it to kind of flow down to the the players and the staff. And I think that's the tone he's setting. I just think that's his nature. So um, I, I think they'll be fine. I, I don't think. I don't think this would be a big issue, but we really won't know until uh, Saturday night, right, guys? Yeah, and and that's to put it in context, too. Consider that coming into the poll at 12 after being unranked is the biggest jump for an unranked team since the first regular season poll of 2016. Uh, thanks to, to Mark Long on Twitter for sharing that. Uh, Texas was 11 after beating 10th-ranked Wisconsin on the road. So the the hype is real. It's going to be there no matter what Billy Napier says or does. So it's how do you handle that? And ultimately, I guess we'll, we'll find out the answer when Florida plays Kentucky. Um, and, and let's transition into that because it, it, things have changed drastically from just a few years ago when Kentucky was an automatic W. You almost just looked at who was next. Kentucky was always going to be a win. Kentucky wasn't a threat. Well, under Mark Stoops, Kentucky has become... A, a pretty respectable program, one that is in the top 25 now, has hovered around that bar for the last few years, and they've done it with, as Napier referenced, a lot of guys who other people didn't think were very good that they took in and they developed. Um, what are our thoughts on this Kentucky team? What are we expecting to see from them when they come into the Swamp this weekend? This You talked about Mark Stoops, Adam. I mean, he's redefined this Kentucky team. I think they entered in the top 25, speaking of rankings preseason poll this year for the first time since 1978 that's been a while um that is 10 years before i was born <laughs> yeah i mean so that they made six consecutive bowl trips and i think florida fans if there's anything that's going to convince florida fans that this is a different kentucky program under mark stoops it's two and two record in the last four years after that 30-year win streak over the Wildcats. They've suddenly become a team that you don't overlook. And But Kentucky's coming down to Gainesville this week. You know, they still have Will Levis at quarterback. Very talented uh, player who the Gators kind of held in check last year because of Chris Rodriguez, the, the running back, 
had a big night uh, for uh, Kentucky, had to go ahead and run into the fourth quarter. But Chris Rodriguez is going to be unavailable for this one. Uh, he's still out. Kentucky has some uh, suspensions. They opened against the Miami of Ohio with an easy win, but that's not uh, that's not going to be the Gators on Saturday night in the swamp. Mark Stoops knows that. Um, so I'm expecting it to be a you know a good Kentucky team. Billy Napier said it probably best himself the other day. I mean, this is a Kentucky team that doesn't beat itself very often. So it could be one of those uh, just, you know, black and uh, black and blue games where you have to avoid mistakes and just come up with it at the end. But we will see. But I, I do think this Kentucky team is – I don't know if they're as prepared to maybe come out victorious as they were last year in Lexington. And even in that one, the Gators had every chance to win, but those 15 penalties, they just so many mistakes kill them. Uh, but uh, – the Gators, I know they're, I know they're not going to be underdogs this week, guys. Yeah, a little bit to to Scott's point, Adam, in that Kentucky is where it is right now because they're sound, and that's what Stoops brings to them. They they, they know who they are. They don't come in there trying to be 185 things. They're these two dozen things, and we're going to do them well, and we're going to get the right pieces in order to accomplish those things. They have some unique. Uh, body types <laughs> across the board. Um, again, defensively, it's not exotic by any means. Uh, but yes, they have issues with their run game right now, just for not even from a personnel standpoint. But I expect uh, already hearing about offensive line changes uh, coming into this, their second game. Um, and there's going to be a bit of a contrast here from what Florida just faced. Utah comes in kind of with this reputation of able to steamroll you with those big backs and a, and a veteran offensive line. And then the two tight ends that are tight ends slash pass blockers slash slot receivers. I mean, Keithy and Kirk, I mean, those guys were dynamic. I mean, that was a lot for the Florida linebacker core to handle. Here's the, here's the wrinkle this week. Yeah. The run game isn't in good shape for Kentucky, but Levis attempted passes to 12 different receivers last weekend. Wow. Now, again, I wasn't, I know it was against Miami of Ohio, but that's NFL like. That's Drew Brees offense type stuff when he has the ability and the trust in a dozen guys. So I expect Levis and um, in the year of the quarterback, apparently, quote unquote, here in the SEC, to be um, a marquee, a guy to come into the swamp and sling it. And so, um, whereas that linebacking core, I think, was tested so mightily last week against Utah. Get ready, defensive backs. You've got a night on your hands on Saturday, and we'll see how Torrance and Dean and those guys handle this. And so that's, I think, what I'll kind of be thinking about a lot when we open up play at 7-ish on Saturday. I'm just fascinated, Adam, that, you know, I, for years and years, uh, 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 Kentucky football was like exhibition get, uh, season in the NFL and the people up there kind of went to games to bide their time until October 15th when they could go and start talking about basketball. I mean, the, the, the expectation now, I got some friends in Kentucky, and they're actually, they're actually arrogant. And I just, I just think it's great, it's great for the league. You didn't think, ever used to think about a Kentucky game with circumstance coming mm. into Florida field. I mean, I've seen – I saw, uh, Bill, you know, Bill Curry brought Tim Couch in here one time and, and ran the option, for God's sakes, and he left with – uh, 66 yards of total offense, and I think they lost 73 to nothing or something like that. So uh, uh, we're a long, long way from that. We're a long, long way from 
Remember, 31 wins in a row in the series. Uh, Kentucky's won two of the last four. Um, I, I, and, and I have to say, is there, a, is there a team in the country that has played two tougher games to start the season than what the Gators and uh, uh, you know it will be facing, have a face in Utah and Kentucky? Moving on to our PAT, I actually was going to talk about this last week, but it hadn't quite bubbled up to the degree that it did uh, in the last week, where we now know not only will the playoff expand, but we know what it's going to look like, and we know pretty much for sure when we're going to see it. So we're still a few years off. 2026 will be the new 12-team format. Uh, And the question is, as people are asking all across college football right now, did they get it right? Sean, what do you think? TBD on getting it right. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to steal a phrase from a good friend of mine. His phrase is always one big check. So all along, it's one big check for all these things and why it's taken this long to talk about something that we're still not going to get for another four years. But again, this all comes down to one big check. And so once the one big check came into play, now, all of a sudden, we have all these solutions that probably all of us have <laughs> going around forever. How do we get to the right number? 12. Okay, I'm all right with that. How do we keep the integrity of the bowl system? Boy, we've heard that for 20 right. plus years. There's a way to do this. There's a way to mix on campus and the existing bowl structure. And again, one big check. Now, I love the fact that, look, we already have this in basketball. We have it in volleyball. We have it in baseball. Why do we only have four participants in the championship of college football? We've already we've crossed the NIL threshold. We've crossed the oh my gosh, distance is an issue because now we've we've combined these conferences and made them bicoastal. So look, just just wipe out the other thing, which is too many games or we miss class. Uh, you know that's the last you know hypothetical joke uh, in this whole process. So give me the twelve teams. Yes, there are going to be some blowouts along the way that happens even in the first round of the NCAA men's basketball tournament. Um, so, yes, have at it. I, and I probably just emptied all the bullets in the chamber. I've been kind of waiting to spew this out, I guess. But, <laughs> yes, bring value back to what would be a conference championship. It's an automatic bid into the deal. Maybe eight was the right number at some point. I think 12 is probably where it needs to be. Um, but I'll just say this is, as Scott and Chris will get to uh, – bloviate on this with me um i don't know what i know about college football in october let alone 2026 <laughs> and who will be in what conference so right. this sounds all grand and dandy right now but i think we're a long way from the final formulation of how this will work what sean was saying hey there's going to be there's going to be upsets and i think that's that's what makes uh march madness so great well i'd, I'd love to see a great upset in a in the first uh, college football playoff that involves 12 teams my goodness gracious. Yeah. Uh, 12 teams. Um, but again, like he said, we don't know uh, what the pool of candidates for those 12 teams are. Um, you know, are they, is it going to come from this big league of 60 people? Is there going to be four teams? Is the big 12 even going to pack 12 even going to exist anymore? Right, we don't, exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we don't know it. We don't know any of that, but we do know there's going to be playing football and a 12 team playoff. It will be five big checks. To, to, to play off what he was talking about. I mean, everybody's going to be watching that stuff. I mean, it, it's I, I, that, come on, it's going to, it's going to be fabulous. They'll probably play weeknight games, my God, because it'll be in the middle of the NFL playoffs. So, um, uh, or I guess it'd be toward the end of the season. They probably have to play it maybe in De- throughout December on into Christmas and stuff like that. But everyone knows people are going to be watching it. Uh, there'll, there'll be some great games. And, to, and also to his point where he talked about why we haven't done this before, 
why college football was the uh, division one college football was the only sport that didn't play off their championship. Oh, we too much time for the student athlete. Okay. But the student athletes in division one, double a their academics aren't important. Right, so it's right. okay for them to play four playoff games, you know, at, at Marshall or Appalachian state back in the day. Ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous talking points. Um, but you know, we're making some progress. I thought, I actually thought it would, when they're going to, when they finally did change, it would be eight. So um, who knows? I don't, I, I don't think they're done deciding a whole lot of things and um, we'll figure We'll figure it out as we go. Kind of like they're figuring out as they go. To your point though, Chris, I think part of the problem and the people who've been rejecting the idea that this should be expanded is that even with four teams, we often end up with very non-competitive semifinals because they're, I mean, last it's year, for example. Same, and it's always the same teams. Right. So, but to, to that point, if last year, Georgia and Alabama were so much better than everybody else and the games they played in the semifinals weren't even competitive, would it be more watched and draw more interest if there's eight more teams that also have no real ability to compete with the teams that are eventually going to be in the final. So I I understand that point. If it's super top heavy, then what is it accomplishing besides creating more games? Is it actually getting us a better path to determining a champion? Because in basketball, we all know anybody can beat anybody on any day. Um, UMBC beating Virginia can happen. A 16 versus a one. A 16-1, air quotes, it's just not going to happen in football, right? It's just, it, it's a different game. Physicality is different. So I think that's I'll, the... Well, I'll, I'll, I'll never say never. I'll never say never because how how many times, what was the, was it one versus 16 in the NSA tournament? Something like 134 and 0? You can't say it'll never happen, but realistically, right. we're more likely to get bad games than good games, right? I look at it from college football of the playoffs as a, a fan's wish, and I'm all for it, I would be all for 16-team playoffs. And once college football becomes NFL junior, I'll be all for like half each of the conferences making the playoffs. I want to see playoff games on campuses. And a, this announcement here of everything, and your, Sean's point was right and Chris's point's right, it's all about – a, lot, a series of big checks mm-hmm. and the biggest check and the biggest check is the last check and that check always expands the system so that's where we are right now it's going to go to 12 it sounds like and it'll eventually go to 16 and maybe more but having said all that i lo- i mean the the last two seasons not 2021 but 19 and 20 in 19 the gators would have played a playoff game at wisconsin under the 12 team playoff and in 2020 even after that dismal finish they would have had a playoff game at home against Iowa State hmm. so I mean those games would have been fun and you know I don't know if they'd won them or lost them but they'd been fun people I think would have been excited and then there was a lot of debate you know like Florida fans on Twitter after the announcement like so if they had had the playoff system during Dan Mullins there would last year have killed his career at Florida because they had made the playoffs three years in a row, essentially. That's a great point, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's going to introduce a lot of factors here that college football necessarily hasn't seen. But just strictly speaking, as the fan inside me, I love to see the playoffs. I, I can't wait to see playoff games on campus. And uh, the competitive imbalance that we're 
having now with the, the top-heavy playoff system, yeah, that could, like you guys said, it could still totally be in place with 12 teams right now. Uh, this year, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, they could still easily be those final four teams in the playoff, but it'd be a more fun road to get there. Well, as, as Sean noted, we've got, uh, what, three, four mirrors before this thing actually happens, so who knows if it'll stay in the form that's just been announced. We will see, and then when it happens, guess what? We get to talk about it and have more fun with it. Um, so with that, we'll bring today's roundtable to a close. Thanks to all of you for giving us your uh, your thoughts on last weekend, and we know that people are going to be anxious to see what you say and write this week after Florida's game against Kentucky. Who knows? Listen, when we're talking next week, Florida could be a top 10 team all of a sudden. We will have to wait to find out. But until then, thank you guys so much and, uh, and have a great week. All right, Adam. Thanks, man. With numerous holes to fill after taking over as head coach, the Gators, Billy Napier utilized the transfer portal in a major way in the winter and spring. But one of his most significant gets didn't walk through the door until early this summer. After showcasing his versatility and sure hands in three seasons with the Sun Devils, Ricky Pearsall was ready for a step up to the highest level in Gainesville, providing a critical playmaker for Anthony Richardson and a young Gator offense. We spoke to Ricky about his path and his plan, starting at the top. So I grew up in Chandler, Arizona. So going to ASU, you know, that was my hometown. So um, I have three sisters, two younger, one older. And then my mom and dad. So that's that's basically my family orientation. So I'm taking from having all the sisters. That's not what got you into football. Uh, <laughs> maybe they're really into powder puff. I don't know. Uh, where did where did football come in for you? How did that become part of your life? Yeah, my dad. So ever since I was young, and you know how I first uh, got the football. You know what I mean. Um, and my dad actually he played at NAU. So that's where it started. So he played football. And then he just started me really young at that age. And as soon as I was able to, you know, tackle somebody, he threw me in there. Well, that's what I read uh, in, in looking at your bio, that you were a pretty versatile athlete growing up. So in addition to football, what other sports did you play uh, that, that got your attention? I mean, I played everything, to be honest. Like when I was like super young, I played everything. I played basketball, I played baseball. I actually didn't like baseball that much, but <laughs> I still played it. <laughs> and I played soccer. So I played I played all sports, you name it, I played it. But uh, the the other sport that I, that I really enjoy is basketball. So mm-hmm. I think those are the two sports that I would say that I really like enjoy playing. So ultimately, when you had to make a decision about what to focus on, why did football stand out? Or I, I guess you're also playing basketball seriously too through high school, right? Yeah, I played my freshman year, and then that's when I decided like, what do I want to play more? You know what I mean? And it was football, but because I mainly, you know, I mainly growing up played football the entire time. Mm-hmm. but basketball was always my second sport. And then when it got to that point in time, you know, where I had to stop playing that just due to, you know, wanting to train more into football and focus on football, then that's when I like, you know, switched over to football. What was it about football? Why, why were you so drawn to that over everything yeah. else? I mean, just, I just had a true passion for it, you know, and then also like my, my pops, like I said, he played football mm-hmm. and, you know, I just wanted to, you know, continue the legacy of playing football in my family, you know what I mean? And, um, my uncle played football too as well. And I just had a really passion for it. Like I love football. Like they like everybody always has that why you play in the game, you know? And mm-hmm. I obviously I got things like I want to play for my family, you know what I mean? And make sure they're they're set for life and stuff like that. But I just love playing football. Like honestly, like I just love playing it. Yeah. And I also saw that you played a lot of positions, which a lot of guys do as well, especially versatile athletes. Um, where all did you play on the field? I imagine you didn't take too many snaps off in high school. 
Yeah, no, uh, I played everywhere. So I played safety. I played receiver, um, mm-hmm. played quarterback for a little bit. And then they actually moved me to linebacker for a little bit. Really? So, yeah. So, I, I mean, like strong safety. So they they put me in the box for a little bit. So, <laughs> so how did you become a receiver? How, so we've identified how you focused on football. <laughs> how did you then narrow down? Okay, I could do all these different things, but this is what I like the most. Yeah. Um, my dad was a receiver. So that that's like a big thing that influenced me to play receiver. And also when I started playing receiver and running routes, I just really liked it. Like <laughs> I just really enjoyed playing receiver. And then that's kind of how I kickstarted because I just, you know, I had success doing it and it was just natural. So mm. that's how I did it. So you mentioned growing up in Arizona and uh, ASU was always one of the, the big schools you looked at. Was your recruiting process pretty simple then because that's where you wanted to go and they were interested or did, did you kind of look at a lot of different places and really open things up my recruiting experience was a little weird i didn't really have too many offers going into my uh, junior year i think i had like nau which where my dad went so it was a smaller school in arizona if you don't know where that's at and then asu didn't come until this that summer going into my senior year and that's and i went to a camp and that's how i got because i ran a 4-4 over there at laser time and then in front of Herm, and then he was like oh okay so we should <laughs> offer this guy or whatever and then i started running routes and then you're like okay we're gonna offer him so then they made me come in the next day and then that's when i got offered by asu and then my recruitment started picking up and i started getting offers but i didn't really post any of my other offers that i was really getting because i knew i wanted to go to asu mm-hmm. if that makes sense because i knew i wanted to stay in state and asu yeah. was the my dream school at the time, you know, so I think that's really how my decision came during my recruitment. And I didn't really post any other like offers. You know, I'm thinking about guys I'd want to be recruited by and Herm Edwards has to be high up on that list, right? I feel like he'd be, I'm sure he makes a crazy pitch as well. What was it like uh, working with him and yeah. just playing for him? You know, he's, he's, he's the ultimate character. Yeah, definitely. It was a blessing to, you know, be able to be coached and let alone get offered by Herm Edwards, you know what I mean? Because he's such a legendary coach, legendary dude in general. And even all the rest of the coaching staff, the rest of the coaching staff is a legendary group. You know, they're all NFL experience over there. So it's a really hats off to them. Like I had a blessing. It was a blessing to have those guys over there. You know what I mean? I learned a lot over there. And um, yeah, just Herm is such a down to earth kind of guy. And every time he opens his mouth to speak, you just want to listen. And I think that's like something that's like super important as a player, you know, and having a relationship with your coach like that. So yeah, me and Herb had a really good relationship when I was over there. So in in terms of your time there, you ultimately made the decision to to move on. That's why we're talking to you today. Um, So when you, when you decided to look somewhere else, what made Florida stand out? How did the Gators become a part of that picture? Well, like my dad was saying, like on my recruiting visit, like it's just a legendary school, you know, like growing up, like you just, you're watching like Florida succeed, you know? And that's, that's like, I remember that as a kid, you know, watching that and then also my pops too you know telling me about the history behind and the tradition behind Florida so that really got my interest initially you know Mm -hmm. what I mean because Florida is such a big time school and then what really dragged me into Florida is Billy Napier uh, coach Nave he's just such a great dude you know and and um we hit it off as soon as we started talking you know and we had similar kind of connections with the ASU whole deal but um when I was in high school that he recruited me very little like I think he just followed me on in, or Twitter or something like that. And, and, <laughs> the least uh, you could do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he followed me on Twitter. And then uh, I kind of just kept up with him just because I followed him back. And I seen, you know, the different schools that he was going to and moving on. And then so we had similar connections with uh, ASU. And then obviously uh, having AR as a quarterback was a big influence for me to come to Florida as well. And obviously Florida in general. Florida is a great state to live in. 
And then, um, yeah, and then I think it was just a good spot. And then obviously Coach Casey too, as well as receiver coach. He's he's a technician, you know what I mean? He's he's a great dude, and we hit it off right away too as well. We kind of speak the same language, and now is a big thing too. Is when I came here on my visit in the media rooms, you know, it, it was identical languages, and we just you know hit it off. Hmm. So you came in pretty late in the process after spring. Am I right? Is that right? The timing wise? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that's pretty late to come in. So I'm curious when you did make that decision and you showed up, uh, who did you gel with? Who who like brought you into the fold? Because you're at a time where there's a new staff and you're new. Even everybody's mm-hmm. kind of, been, I'm sure, building up that connection through the spring. And then you show up. Uh, yeah. but obviously we're needed. So how, how did that go for you? I mean, when I first got here, I made sure to make my rounds to everybody and, and like, you know, greet them, introduce myself and stuff like that. So I think every when I got in here, everybody kind of was like, probably like, whoa, like this dude's coming up to me like right away and just shaking my hand and, you know, like introducing myself. And um, a lot of the guys, everybody, all the teammates really just, you know, welcomed me in. And I think that's that was really important for me. It made me feel really comfortable, you know, and obviously the coaches and stuff like that. Um, on my visit, Donovan McMillan, he was the one who was uh, hosting me. So mm-hmm. uh, me and him already had a similar connection. When I ended up making my decision to come here. So we hit it off right away. And then obviously AR, because I met him on my visit too as well. And, you know, he was just a familiar face when I got here. So that's when we started building that trust and relationship with each other. And then uh, Justin Shorter is another one that, you know, me and him really hit it off. And then everybody in the receiver room, to be honest, just because, you know, we're seeing each other every single day. And then, you know, once you're showing up every single day, then, you know, it just goes up from there. Mm-hmm. Working with Anthony, I, I imagine it's a lot of fun because he can make throws that other people just can't. Uh, what has it been mm-hmm. like building that relationship? How how have you helped him? How has he helped you? Yeah, uh, it's a it's a help me help you process, you know, with the quarterback and the receiver. You know, we, we help each other. You know, he throws the ball and I catch the ball, you know, and it's, it goes both ways. But having a quarterback, you know, that can run and then throw across the field, you know what I mean? It's pretty unbelievable you know I always got to be ready that's the thing I always got to be ready I I can't like take a playoff or nothing because you know you never know like when once you think he he's tackled he's not tackled you know you saw that in the last game so yeah yeah, you always got to be ready for AR to get out the pocket you know and uh, become a target so that yeah that two-point conversion I think opened a lot of eyes for people that didn't already know what he could do that was like the entire nation was put on alert um, is, is that the craziest thing you've seen him do or has he done something even more impressive than that in practice? <laughs> I don't know because it's actually really funny because he did the same exact thing in practice. Like I, I kid you not, same exact thing. He rolled out to the same way and did the same maneuver where he did that spin pump fake and got mm-hmm. it. And got, I forgot who it was in practice. And even if I didn't know, I probably wouldn't expose him. But <laughs> same exact thing in practice. And, I, and when I watched it, I was like, because at the point at, at that time it was twelve personnel, so I wasn't on the I wasn't on the field. Mm-hmm. And when he did that, I was like, "There's no way he actually did that in practice." And then it just like, it's crazy to see that like some of the things that you do in practice it shows up in the game. So yeah, what would he have to do at this point to surprise you? <laughs> it seems like it would take a lot. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, he can he can do it all, man. He's a he's a tremendous athlete, and whatever you name, you know, he's gonna go out there and do it. Yeah. So that uh, that obviously lit the swamp up. A lot of things did in that opener, which I know was electric. Um, what was it like for you, your first game as a Gator and having it not just be at home? You know, you weren't playing a directional school. You're playing a top 10 team. A lot of <laughs> hype around it. I mean, what, what was that experience like? Yeah. I mean, it, it just started as soon as I walked out the tunnel. You know, I just looked around and just had to soak it in, you know, because it, it, it is a blessing. You know, no, not a lot of people get a small percentage amount of people get to go out here and do what I get to do. You know, it is, it's a blessing, you know, like 
I can't stress that enough. So I, I'm just truly grateful to, you know, be in this opportunity. And, you know, I mean, it's there's a lot of tradition behind Florida. So there's a lot of fans, you know, and they're all loud, you know, and I kept hearing about it, but I, I never got to experience it. And then, you know, we play Utah and I go out there and I see <laughs> what everybody's talking about. And it's, right. it's all true. It's really loud in there. And and all the friends bring tremendous energy and it, it's it's really fun, you know. Because mm-hmm. when, when, it's football, you know, I played since I was six years old. I go out there and have fun. But, you know, you can just use the fan or the, the crowd noise to your advantage, you know, when you're playing home. So yeah. just have fun out there. Yeah. You talked about using football as kind of a, a vehicle to, to take care of your family. And, and I'm sure with that comes dreams about the next level. So when you think about who you ultimately want to be as a pro, what receivers stand out? Or maybe maybe it's tight ends these days, the way those guys are like Kyle Pitts. But which players do you look at and kind of model your game after? I don't think there's like a specific receiver that I model my game after. I'm obviously a fan, a fan of a lot of receivers in the NFL. And I, I, I watch a lot of NFL tape because I want to put that in my game mm-hmm. and see what works and then use it. And I mean, guys like Cooper Cup, obviously, you know what I mean? And all, all those elite guys. You know, I just got to look at them and, you know, whatever works for them, you know, I got to use. So Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure you spent a lot of time focused on football, but when you do have some time away, what do you enjoy doing? What are what are some hobbies when you're not, you know, knee deep in football or school? It's hard to say because I'm I'm pretty much in the building from (laughs) 8 a.m. to like 9 p.m. So there's not really much else to do but sleep. Mm. So um, check up on my family and um I mean, I play video games. Don't get me wrong. I'll play video games. I'll play Madden against uh, some of my friends, you know, mm-hmm. and any other video game that they're playing. But that's what I'll do in my free time. But I, I don't get too much free time. Yeah, You shouldn't have too much free time, you know? That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, you came at an interesting time right when the new facility was about to open up. So you get to be the beneficiary of that. Uh, what has it been like kind of exploring that? And, and what are some of the things you like to take advantage of in that, that new facility? Yeah, everything. Everything. When I first got in here, I wanted to do everything in one day, like because <laughs> I wanted to experience everything. Um, the sauna, you know, the mm-hmm. the cold tub, hot tub, everything. You know what I mean? The training room too. You can never get too much treatment. You know what I mean? Take care of your body. Recovery is number one. And then even in our lockers, the reclined lockers, and yeah. then you can put the normal tech boots on. So it's like you don't even really need to go in the training room to get treatment. You can really just lay in your locker and just put those on and kick back and relax. And, watch film or whatever you want to do. Can you do the cold tub and the hot tub and the sauna in, in one set? Or is this like, do you have to choose different days for those things? I would don't, I would just go to the hot tub, but you guys yeah. have different uses for those things. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's all up to you, but um, there's contrasting. So it's like you go into the cold tub and you go into the hot tub and you go to cold tub. It's like two minutes on, two minutes in there. Mm-hmm. So there, there's different, like you can go to both, but I don't know about the sauna though. You might cramp. Depends <laughs> after a long practice. You might go in there and you start cramping. A few guys actually have, so that's funny. Um, couple final things for you. Speaking of cramping, you obviously have uh you came from Arizona and now you're in Florida. There's they're both hot, right? But I guess it's a different kind of heat. Um wh- what's it been like transitioning from one climate to the other, both of which are very hot? Yeah, no, definitely. Both are uh extremely hot, but um I think Arizona is just like more dry heat. Mm-hmm. And then here's like, obviously, like a lot. I mean, you you know, as well, it's just really humid, <laughs> you know, so you sweat without even really realizing that you're sweating that much. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the main thing. Like, it, like, I'll walk outside, but it's not that hot because when you walk outside, your skin's burning in Arizona. Like, yeah, your skin's really burning. So like when I walk out, I'm like, oh, it's, it's not that hot. But then you're just drenched in sweat. And you're like, oh, OK. And then because the first day I got out here, I was cramping. 
I can't even lie. Like I was cramping <laughs> like the very first practice. I remember like towards the end of practice, I went to get off the line of scrimmage and I just caught a cramp in my calf. And then I was like, ah, they got me. Cause I was, gotcha. <laughs> cause I was talking to the teammates. I was like, no way this Florida Heat's going to get me. I'm from Arizona, you know, but they ended up getting me. It comes for everybody. Um, final question, final question for you. Obviously the team had a lot of success last weekend. The people were talking about you across the country. You're 12th now in the polls. People were talking about the Gators, right? How, how is the coaching staff kind of working with the team to make sure that you guys are, are confident about what you accomplish, but also not letting success get in the way of the improvement that mm-hmm. you know you need to continue putting up numbers like that? Yeah, we just we just go by one and no mentality each week. You know, we want to be one and well, one and oh each week. You know what I mean? We can't, you know, be complacent in any, you know, in any way. So um, we got to prepare each week the same, you know, that we're going to play a big game each week because you can't take any team lightly and um, just be one and oh each week. Well, Ricky, thank you so much for your time. Good luck against Kentucky. And we are very glad that you are now a Gator. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. I will, I will. No more cramps. <laughs> <laughs> And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.